Welcome to Hosanna Christian Fellowship. Welcome to our Wednesday night study. For those of you that are here and or online, welcome. Uh, my name is Rick. I am one of the pastors here. My full name is Rick Ice. It just sounded weird to cut it short. But um, I'm one of the pastors here. If you don't see me that often or if you don't know who I am, I specifically run the youth. I also run men's and young adults ministries here. But for those of you that are in here or online and you're like, who is this guy? Why is he a pastor? I've never seen him. It's because I run the youth next door, so that's why you never see me. Um, yeah, I'm taking care of these crazy kids, and they're beating me up, and I'm feeling a lot more pain the older I get. That's just how it goes. Um, but I want to give a little intro before we get into worship tonight, and it's really cool because tonight, Pastor Nathan has asked me to teach to help him prepare for Sunday and get a really good study for you guys. But in Galatians is where we're going to be, specifically in chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. And um, this is actually Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. Um, and the churches in Galatia have been deceived by false teachers. They've been coming in and teaching basically that the gospel of works, not of faith. The gospel of, oh, you know, yeah, you have Jesus, but... You still got to work to get there. And it's, it's very much Judaizers in that whole aspect. And unfortunately, not only were some believing it, but a lot of the Galatians were also treating each other horribly in this. Like, as Christians, treating each other horribly. And specifically in this chapter, in the verses that we're going to be looking at, we see Paul write about going uh, and restoring fellow Christians that have been caught in sin. We see an attitude where... <coughs> that we are supposed to have while restoring those Christians, uh, one of gentleness and humility. We also will be seeing Paul really talk about and writing about the calling of us to carry each other's burdens as Christians, fulfilling the law of Christ by doing so, and we'll be talking about what that law is. On top of that, he talks a little bit about the dangers of pride and how it damages us and stops us from fulfilling the law of Christ. All these things we're going to be looking at tonight, um, really in the context of what Paul ends this, this part and section of chapter 6 with in verse 10, where he says, basically, do not grow weary of doing good. And that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at this example and understanding of that. We are in Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1, starting in verse 1, going through verse 5. So if you go ahead and turn there, again, 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 Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 is where we're starting. Oh, man, I'm excited. With that, guys, it says in verse 1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Like I said in the intro, this is a very, very pointed, direct conversation that Paul is having with the Galatians right here, telling them to help those who are found in sin, specifically those that are fellow brothers and sisters in the church, because of words like restore, we understand that this is a fellow Christian. This isn't just someone off the street. You know, you see someone in sin out there and you go up and restore them to Jesus. Well, if they, haven't, if they don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can't restore it back to them. 
So this is very pointed in understanding that this is one person going to another person that's part of the church that has been overtaken, as it says, in wrongdoing or trespasses and sin. And specifically here where it says someone overtaken means detected, overtaken, or surprised. This word has a little bit of debate, or this, this phrase has a little bit of debate around it. It kind of means someone suddenly entrapped in or discovered in sin. Um, the sin is added on because where it says wrongdoing. So this, this debate is because the word's kind of vague. This phrase is kind of vague, talking about people who might have been just ensnared and entrapped. Suddenly they fell into sin, like sin has, has come quickly. Or someone who was discovered having been in sin for a while. And I think there is a reason for the vagueness. I think it's vague on purpose. I don't think this is supposed to be one or the other. It's both. You find someone like this, they both need the same thing. If someone is in sin, they both need what? Restoration to Jesus. They both need Jesus. And that's the point, right? He says to them, if someone is overtaken in sin, you are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Now, restore doesn't just mean, you know, like an antique shop where you go and it's got all this rust and stuff and they've made it nice and clean and then you've got this cool sewing machine from like the 1930s that somehow is working perfectly. This restore is talking about bringing back to Jesus. They have gotten off of the path. They have turned away from Jesus and have either been fallen into and had sin just in their life or they've had sin for a while. They've been living in sin and they, they really need correction. So this thought of restoring is to bring them back to the understanding of what truth is, what sin is, to bring them back to what Jesus did for us, right? Paying, on, paying our debts on the cross, freeing us from the bondage of sin, which a lot of uh, Galatians, Ephesians, a lot of the books that Paul writes, he's like, why would you want to go back to what you were just a slave to? And so in this, these people who are overtaken in sin, right, in wrongdoing, they need to be restored to Jesus. They need to be brought back to the understanding of who Jesus is and the thing they're doing is wrong. Now, this is good and all, but who should do the restoring? Because when I was younger, when it came to things like sharing the gospel or things like that, I was kind of a chicken and like, let me just bring my friend to church and let my pastor do it. You know, I was in high school and I had Pastor Mike and that dude is so wise and smart. And I was like, he can get them. You know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. I should have been doing it. And that's the point. The words here for the person that Paul is calling to restore this person is you who are spiritual. This does not mean someone who's like hyper-spiritual Buddhist monk. This does not mean a pastor. This does not mean an evangelist. This means anyone who is living and led, their life is led by the Holy Spirit. They're living for Jesus. Someone who is living a life led by the Holy Spirit, someone who is spiritually minded. Guess what? That should be all of us. We all should be living spiritually. We should all be spiritually minded. Now, 
Paul does say this in context because remember, like I said in the intro, in, in the church of Galatia, they were dealing with false teachers and those that were trying to be Judaizers. And so he's like, look, excluding them, the people that are in church that are actually spiritual and following Jesus, when you see someone in sin, restore them. So this means all of us, you, me, anyone. We all have this job that we can do. And that's very important because, I mean, who here likes confrontation? Raise your hand. No one does. We're like when I was younger. Hey, my pastor can take care of my friend, not me. Right? You're, you're afraid of dealing with that confrontation. But my encouragement to you is if you have a solid walk with Jesus Christ and you are living a life led by the Holy Spirit, do it. Because you'll say whatever and the Holy Spirit will work through you. He will work through you to get to that person. Doesn't matter how eloquent your, I mean, look how well I speak, and I am a pastor and I teach. I barely speak English. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's going to be a couple times I'll say something up here, and you guys are going to be like, what did he say? And I'll have to re say the word because I said it wrong. And that's not a bad thing, that's just me, but God still uses me just like he still uses you and can use you to restore someone who's fallen into sin. So don't wait for someone else to take care of it. If you know someone like this, get to it. Now, you might be thinking then, so if I am allowed or am supposed to restore one that I know is in sin, how should I go about it then? How should I do it? And um, unfortunately, guys, there's no magical word or magical phrase you could say that just is like flipping a switch and bingo, bango, they know it right? I can't give you a scripted word or sentence or phrase for you to tell someone, but Paul does give us something more of an attitude of how we should be doing it. Doesn't really matter what you say. Well, it does. You need to speak the truth of Jesus, but you should speak it gently, and gentle here is very important because this word gentle, right, where it says with a gentle spirit is talking about gentleness and humility. Not yelling, shaming, telling them how wrong and evil they are aggressively. None of that. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not one of those people who's like, there's no such thing as tough love. I think there is tough love, but you can actually do tough love kind of gently. You can be gentle and firm at the same time. Horses are strong, right? They're a perfect example of meekness. They're super strong, super muscular, but they can be extremely gentle, yet very firm and strong and powerful at the same time. And we can speak the power of Jesus' truth into people's lives and do so gently, even with the full effect of the power. Because the unfortunate thing, well, it's not exactly unfortunate, it's how we react. The natural reaction to sin is it's gross, evil, and wrong, right? Every Christian here is like, no, it's, even when you, like when you catch yourself in sin, you're like, you feel disgusting, 
I don't know if you'd, I, like, I know I do when I'm like, man, I just sinned and I feel gross almost at, of like, ah, ah, because I know the truth of what sin is. And from there, the problem is not that reaction. The problem is what we do with that feeling is, unfortunately, the church has messed up in the past and I have too. And when someone sins, you get offensive. You fly off the handle. You're like, how could you do such an evil thing? But in doing so, you're going to sin because you're being wrathful. And it's, it's not being gentle. It's being harsh and abrasive. And it's, it's not called for. I mean, a soft answer turns away wrath. It's what the Bible says. So if you catch someone in sin and you come at them, screaming and yelling, saying, you're evil, you know what's going to happen? Those ears are going to lock down like, you know, a zombie apocalypse doors in all the supermarkets. <laughs> Nothing's getting through. Well, I mean, zombie apocalypse movies, they do get through because that is the point of the movie. But <laughs> their words, they don't. And I mean, when I was younger, I saw this. This was really harsh. I remember there was one girl that I remember got pregnant. And this wasn't at this church thankfully. Um, but she was actually at my school and she was going to our, our um, uh, it's written on my notes, church, uh, our, our <laughs> English, uh, my, uh, our church group that we were a part of at school. And uh, it, it wasn't the best. Um, she was also one of my classes and people treated her like she was this evil, horrible person. How could you? You're in high school. Ah, so evil. And she stopped coming to school for a while because she not only was pregnant, but had to deal with the people and the kids my age being, being teenagers. No offense, guys. I know you're in here, but when you get a little older, you can be real mean. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> my, the youth group's in here with us today. So I always embarrass you guys every time we're in here, I bring you up. So, um, right? This issue, but I've also seen on the other side of I know someone who got pregnant and the parents just was like, okay, you messed up. And they treated it the right way. They're like, you were in sin but you need to turn back to Jesus. The sin is over, and now we have this beautiful blessing of a baby coming into the family. And the baby isn't some evil sin. The baby's a baby. And that's a beautiful thing. This is life. And they, you know, they, handled, her, they handled it gently with her. Um, they're like, hey, maybe you can get married. They decided not to because apparently the guy was not husband material. Um, but that would be the right way to handle it, not the other, which drives people away and even makes people leave school for a while or leave the church or leave issues because people are so against them and they feel like they're being attacked. And I mean, would you want to be attacked and felt like you're attacked at church? Now, I've never experienced that from here at Hosanna, which is amazing. I love our church, I love our body, but this is still in the Bible because it's a warning that we'll get into later, but we all can fall and we all can do any and every conceivable, conceivable sin. And that's important. So this gentleness and this humility is actually a safeguard, which was I was just talking about, 
making us watch out for ourselves so that we're not tempted. Because verse 1 does talk about watch out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. You won't fall. Very important. Everyone has the capability of doing every sin. If you don't think so, you're wrong. I'm sorry, but you're wrong. As humans, we have the capability of everything. We like, for instance... I love this one because I brought it up with the youth as well. Like, how many of you thought if I was in Adam and Eve's place, I wouldn't have ate the fruit? (laughs) I would have, and I probably would have done it faster than them. (laughs) I'm being honest. As sinners, we mess up. We choose sin. And that's why we needed Jesus to die for us. So we have to understand and have the gentleness and humility to know that no, I can, I can mess up. So when you go to restore someone, be honest with yourself. Have an honest view of who you are, an understanding of who you are. You may have to bring someone else to help you restore that person depending on their sin. You might. You might need to bring another solid Christian Understanding we could fall to the same temptation helps us to be gentle. Because when, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry about that. When you go to restore someone, you should ask the simple question, how would I want to be restored? How would I want someone to bring me back to Jesus? Do I want them to come at me like a drill sergeant? yelling in my ear and telling me I'm the worst thing ever and I gotta get better? No, right? Wow, that was really aggressive. (laughs) But we would prefer someone coming gently, coming and loving us. You know that old saying, treat others how you want to be treated? Kind of fits in here, doesn't it? It's almost like they got that from the Bible. Moving on. (laughs) We must remember, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all saved by grace through faith. And none of our righteousness matters. It's filthy rags. We don't don't really matter outside of Jesus. Outside of Jesus, we're all doomed to hell. And what I love here is the warning isn't for just any Joe Schmo, right? This warning is to someone who is spiritual, This warning is to someone who's living for God and doing the right thing. And then he goes, yeah, but be gentle. Unless you fall, right? Be careful. Why? Because it doesn't matter how spiritual you are. The the person who's oldest in this room, who's been walking with Jesus for the longest, can still commit the same sin as a brand new saved Christian. And that's the truth. Continuing on in verse 2, it says this, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I love this verse. Bless you. I probably shouldn't do that while I'm teaching. But (laughs) carry one another's burdens. We tend to be so worried about ourselves and so self-focused that we will lose sight of those standing an inch away from us. We're worried about our issues and our problems, 
and we won't. We just won't carry each other's burdens. Like, oh, they can take care of it. I got my own stuff to take care of. And the issue here is it's you're, you're, you're being selfish. We should be focusing on each other, carrying each other's burdens and helping each other out. The old saying, you know, two heads are better than one. Two people working on one issue is always better. If everyone's always focused on themselves, it's only one person working on it. But if you let other people come in and help you, especially Christians, it will be resolved much easier. It's a lot easier to carry a heavy weight with a multitude of people. So with that, carrying specifically, and what I like about the word carry means to endure something unpleasant or difficult, whether on one's own behalf or on behalf of someone else. And the word specifically is an active present verb. I'm normally not this deep into the English, but when I heard that and was looking it up on my, my, uh, my Bible software, active present verb. It's something that we are to do continuously at every moment. It isn't something where, okay, today I'm going to help people out, but tomorrow is my day. No, it's always be thinking about and helping and being there, carrying each other's burdens. One of those ways is praying for them. If you ever struggle with, Lord, man, I want to pray more. Well, pray for each other more because I'm telling you, if you know everyone's burdens, you can pray for a long time because we've all got them. And what I love here is by doing this, right? By, by actively carrying each other's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. And those of you in here should know, and if you don't, you're gonna, you're gonna have your mind blown because we don't have to follow the law anymore. But instead, in John 13, 34 through 35, we listen to Jesus' words. I give you a new command. Love one another, just as I have loved you you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wow. This word carry and carry one another's burdens really does fit here. It really shows us how we are loving one another and, and feeling, or fulfilling this commandment because it calls us to love as Jesus did. And Jesus set the example for us on how to carry each other's burdens. Because if you go through the Gospels and look, he doesn't come to condemn. He even says he doesn't come to condemn. He comes and he shares people gently, but he shares the truth that he is the Christ. I mean, one of my favorite ones, and I bring, I've brought this up a couple of times and it's made people laugh because, you know, sometimes we look at Bible characters and we compare, like, ooh, who am I kind of like? And when I was younger, I really wanted to be like Paul. And the older I, I've gotten, the more I've realized I'm like Peter. <laughs> and, I mean, it's great. I just am like him and I have a tendency to put my foot in my mouth. And then when I get that one and I put the other foot in my mouth. I can do stupid stuff. I, I get it. But... Have you ever seen how Jesus interacted with Peter, especially when Peter denied Jesus three times? He didn't show up and be like, how dare you, Peter? You denied me, the Christ? Do you not know that I am your savior? How could you deny me? Is that what Jesus did? 
Because I don't read that in John 21, 15 through 25. And if you want to know how he handled it, there you go, there's your homework. Read and see how Jesus restored Peter, brought him back to him. Jesus brought Peter back to him. And what I love here in verse 35, Jesus even said this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. The simple fact that the world is known for tearing its, itself and each other down. It's known, I mean, I, I used to do sales and stuff like that, and you know, the saying of, you know, climb to the top and doesn't matter who, who you have to step on to get to the top, as long as you're at the top. That's the world's understanding. But we're different. Jesus has set up a different bar. He says we're all equal in salvation in the fact that we're all bottom tier and don't deserve it. But that's why grace is so beautiful. And as we love one another and do the opposite of the world, which is tearing each other down, and we lift the weight that is placed on us here and bringing more to Jesus so they can help lift more weight, they'll know that we were Jesus or we are part of Jesus' crew, family, whatever you want to call it. We are Christians, and the world will know that. And I'm sure you have examples, and I have examples of, you know, getting saved, and your friends are like, man, you're different. There's something different about you. Why do you want to go to church so much and hang out with them? Right? Why do you, why do you care so much? Well, it's because I love them. So, we should be carrying each other's burdens, lifting each other up, and not stepping on each other. So then, why do we sometimes, often, tear each other down when someone is caught in sin? Why do we react the way we do? Well, Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, I think, gives us a clear answer. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Pride is our problem. Pride is considering yourself to be something when you are nothing. Or considering yourself not only better than you are, but better than others. Putting yourself above everyone else and everyone else doesn't matter. I am greatest. I am best. I am the most deser deserving. I deserve everything. Pride. The sentences I just gave you right there show you how it is very hard to love someone else when you're so focused on yourself thinking you are better than everyone else. And the hard part is, right, when I say this, is a very, like, heavy words and description of pride, but we have to understand that's what pride is, and it can sneak into our life and be so subtle, but it is a very evil, powerful thing that we have to be self-checking and tearing down. Because... This is the biggest issue of stopping us from gently restoring each other. Because, I mean, our natural reaction is sin is gross. I would never do that. That's the prideful person. Like, oh, they fell to that sin? Ah, oh, I don't have to be careful because I'll never fall to that sin. That sin's so evil. Oh, I could never do that. But like I said, verse 1 
disagrees with us. Verse 1 was a warning to the spiritual person to watch out. The one who is living for Christ and actively telling himself, don't be prideful, live for Jesus. You still need to be careful because anyone can fall to sin. We can commit any sin that you can conceive of. The mere fact you can conceive of it is the fact that you have the capability of doing it because you're like, ooh, oh, that's evil and wrong. And you're like, oh, wait, my brain is sick, gross, and disgusting and can do that. I have the capability because I even just thought of it. Pride stops us from loving one another and instead of restoring, we tear each other apart thinking that we're restoring. Pride, and right here in verse three, really the ending is so good. It dece- or he deceives himself, right? Pride deceives us. There is no better deception than self-deception. That's why I think the show Inception was so funny and crazy thought. If you can get yourself to believe something, it's so much harder to get rid of. There, again, no better deception, especially because the fact is you're using your own logic to answer yourself. And when you're prideful in self-deception, you're not going to listen to anyone else because you're better right? That's how pride works. I'm better than them, so therefore, I'm good. I don't have to worry about it. And it's this horrible, evil cycle of, of just, I'm better than them, and therefore, I won't fall, which means I'm better than them, and I won't fall. And, I, and it just keeps going. I mean, imagine this kind of personality with bomb diffusers, right? A rookie bomb diffuser, and because this is how they, I know this is a crazy example, but a rookie bomb diffuser, an experienced bomb diffuser, go to defuse a bomb together and the rookie's turn to take care of it and he swears he knows everything, you know, like the back of his hand, he knows all the tricks, he knows all the bombs. But the problem is, is the experienced one's like, well, we're in a place where they do bombs differently than how they train you. He's like, no, I got it, I got it. And if that rookie doesn't listen, he clips the wrong wire, it blows up and hurts everyone, doesn't it? It doesn't just affect him, it affects everyone around. And that's the truth about pride. It ends up hurting others and ourselves. It's arrogance that makes us think we're better and do wrong things and think we're still doing the right thing. And so it's this self-deception that causes us to not be gentle and restore anyone, but instead puts us in sin as well as harms others. So what should we do to keep from being prideful? Verses four through five say this. Let each person examine his own work and then he can take the pride or then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Stop comparing yourself to others. That's how you do it. What's funny is in our, in our world, especially one that is so based off of aesthetics and looks and who looks better than who and who's got a better life than who and all these people on YouTube who rent houses and cars to make themselves look better when really they're living in an apartment like everyone else. But it's because, you know, the aesthetic. I gotta look good. So you're comparing yourself to others 
And the problem is, is you're not really focusing on the problems and issues you have. But all these people are focused on everyone. And the truth is, no one's paying attention. How many of you have ever been worried like, oh, do I have like boogers in my nose or do I look weird? And oh, this new haircut, you know, people are going to stare while everyone else is going, do I have boogers in my nose? Do you get my haircut weird? We're all generally doing the same thing, right? That's the world's thing is so prideful and stuck on ourselves that we're all thinking everyone's going to laugh at me and just causes issues and problems. And it distracts us from seeing the problems that we have. I mean, I, I, okay, so I always make this joke with my kids, not my kids, the, the youth. I call them my kids, but they're not kids. They're, yeah, moving on. <laughs> my brain and reasoning. But I was playing, we're playing capture the flag here on a Friday night because we have hangout. And one of the kids is fast. He's pretty fast. But the problem is, is, he wouldn't stop and realize his prideful issue of I'm fast. I'm fast. But he kept getting tagged and had to keep coming back. And I'm playing defense because I'm old and fat and smart and I just, you know, stand tactically where they can't really get to the flag so I don't have to run. I just do this for the whole game. Man, my bones thank me and so do my joints. But I was talking with him after and I could see the pride just... In, in like, no, I'm so fast though. I should be able to get the flag because I'm so fast. And I'm like, yeah, but you weren't thinking tactically. You remember when I told you to have two people run on the right, two people on the left, you wait back. And after everyone split off to get them, you run straight up the middle. But because he was so obsessed and so prideful and stuck on the fact that he was fast, he never waited for anyone to ever go and do the thing I told him to do which then led to a very long game of him running, getting tagged, walking back, running, getting tagged, walking back. And it was that, that pride that, that just because he was so focused on everyone else is slow, I'm fast. It just, it ruined it for him. He was upset. And I'm like, come on, man, let's go play something else. Pride ends up hurting others and hurting ourselves and making us think we're better than others. Because imagine, he's sitting there running up and down and he's so confused because he gets tagged and he's like, what, you're slow though, why'd you catch me? And it's like, well, that's not nice to say. <laughs> Where'd that come from? And it's funny because I, for being short and kind of heavier and older than the kids, I run with them and I'll tag him all the time. And he's like, how do you do that? And I run by and go, I don't know, I'm old, fat, and slow, what's up? <laughs> just mess with him, but it's like, come on, look past it. Look past your pride. Look at your issues. Because if you're able to look at your issues and stop comparing the one good thing you think you have to everyone else, you could see the problems and work on them. And especially as a Christian, you can let Jesus have them and work on them for you. So what I like here is it then says, right, because we're talking about how to not be prideful, but then it says, take pride in your own actions. And you're like, wait, didn't you say don't be prideful, Rick? Well, yes, because take pride here is a motive or ground to be satisfied with your achievements. Doesn't exactly mean the same sin of pridefulness of, of I'm better than everyone else, but instead being like, no, I'm happy with this part of my life. This is a good thing I do have. And that's important 
because of what is continued to be said, right? Be satisfied with your life in Christ. Be satisfied in the good things that you're doing because as you examine your own life, you can compare it to your old self, who you were before Jesus, and see the things that are changing. You could see how Christ is changing you and the things you do for him and be like, no, thank you, God. Look at this. I did this for you. And that's something to take pride in without being prideful. Very often, we as people are looking through one-way one way glass like they have in detective rooms, right? Looking at everyone else, just neglecting to look at ourselves. But often, we should be looking into a mirror. We should be going, okay, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? Where is something that needs work in my life? God, I pray you just work on that. Show me how to fix that because that's wrong and I'm being prideful and this is, this is hurting me and other people. And doing this, the, the reason that Paul ends with the fact that, you know, you need to really be taking a look at yourself, right? Take pride in your own things. Focus on yourself is because eventually you're going to have to carry your own load. Now, verse 5 is not a contradiction to verse 2, where verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens. Now, this says, carry your own load. This is actually talking about the unjudgment before God, whether at rapture or if you die tonight and you're in front of God and he judges you on the works that you've done, that is your load, that is your burden, that is the thing that you are carrying and will have to carry yourself because the truth is God judges us based on the works we've done, no matter how many people are helping us. What did you choose to do? That is what's going to be judged. And as a Christian... If you're prideful and, and you're living this life where oh, all the stuff you do is all about me, da, 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 but you're still a Christian and you get there and you're getting judged and all your stuff is put before you and burnt in fire and then you've got nothing. That's got to feel a little bad. I mean, it's hard to say because I haven't been there and neither of you. So we don't know how it's going to feel because it says we're going to throw the crown he gives to us after the works are burned to him just saying thank you for saving us. So I'm sure we're all just going to be humble. But there's still probably a point of like, man, that's all I did for God? And that's, that's the thing. If we're too focused on other people and being prideful about ourselves and look at their faults and their faults, look how great I am, and not looking at other people and focusing on their burdens and issues and helping carry those burdens and gently restoring those that fall to sin, if we're focused on just... I am great and amazing. In the end, when we're judged, it's not going to be good. Yeah, you get into heaven, but that whole you thought you were good at the end, now you don't have as much treasures. I'm also not saying to, you know, do this to get treasures. That's just a side benefit. <laughs> if your goal is, I'm going to do this so I can get treasures, not because I love God. There's a little bit of a character issue. So, don't be concerned of how great you are, and don't be prideful in this, but be concerned with the burdens that people have. Restore them and care for them. Now, in closing, we know, because of these verses, that we're to love one another just as Jesus loves you. 
Think of it that way. An active love, actively carrying each other's burdens and issues, lifting up and edifying one another constantly, daily. This is an ongoing thing. We also know we're to re- those that are spiritual are to restore one who is in sin, but to do it specifically in gentleness and humility, not in pride and, oh, what's wrong with you? You've got to do it that because we have to remember that we can be tempted with the same exact thing. We all think like, oh, Judas is so evil. Eh, We could be Judas. We could have done it. And don't let pride get in the way of loving one another. The biggest combatant to loving one another is that pride, right? Don't deceive yourself into thinking you're better than others. But instead, instead, understand that we are to love one another and that we are all just sinners saved by grace. Understand that without Jesus, we are nothing. But now, because of Jesus, we're in this family together. So let's love each other and help lift each other up and love each other as Jesus loves us. Fulfill the command that Jesus gave us. Love one another. These questions, right? These thi- or this is a question I think we all should ask ourselves every day. How can I love my fellow Christians today? With that, guys, let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we just, we come before you in thanksgiving, Lord, and totally thankful for everything you've done for us. The simple fact that we can stand here and sit here and be a part of the body of Christ is the simple fact that you made the way. You bore our sin on the cross and died for us. And without you, we all have nothing. We all are doomed and destined for hell. Lord, we just, we thank you that you loved us so much. You died on the cross for us so that we can have a relationship with you, Lord. And with that example of love that you've given us and and coming and helping us, Lord, let us do that for those around us. If we see someone fallen in sin, whether living in it or, or fallen to it suddenly, Lord, that we would gently and humbly go and restore them to you, showing them your truth and reminding them of who you are and what sin is, Lord. I also pray, Lord, that you would help us to to stop being prideful if we are, if there is any pride in our life that's blocking the love that we could be sharing with one another, Lord, let us kill that pride. Let us remember who we are in you. We are only good and great and amazing and holy because of you. Outside of you, we are nothing. So let us remember that. Let that safeguard us from being puffed up and ruin our ministry and our love for one another, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.